Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I know what that spaceship looks like, and you do too. It's called Earth. We travel through space at 50,000 miles an hour, moving toward other stars, and we'll reach other stars. It just takes a while. But we've got a great spaceship here, as long as we don't screw it up. Welcome back to Where's My Jetpack. Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything, from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century, not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to those space-age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudus. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was, to find out if it was all just science fiction or if these great inventions are either just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode 10, the final episode of the series, Where's My New Planetary Home? human beings going to another planet, a world beyond our own. Um, so in, in reality, in the real world, the furthest we've been is the moon. Uh, and that mm. was 1972. It's not that know. far, is it? No, not that far. About a quarter of a million miles. Last, It's still quite far. It takes you three days to get there. But we haven't been back there to the moon since 1972. Yeah. But the idea of going to another world, a planet beyond our solar system and one day living, it's something we've seen a lot in the movies. But in, in terms of science... We just haven't been as far just yet to make mm. that possible. Yeah. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be better than here? Because th- this planet's good, um, but is there a better one out there? And it's probably better off to find one quickly because if it comes down to the point where we don't have a choice, we've got to go, we need some candidates. Well, I hope we're never in a situation <laughs> where just we have saying, to go. We need some options. We, we do need some options, but you know, <laughs> we go into space to protect Earth. Let's reiterate yeah. this. But um, the idea of exploring, like back in the 90s, early 90s, we didn't even know there were other planets beyond yeah, our solar system. Yeah, it was really that recent that we didn't yeah, know. Yeah, it was yeah. that recent. So extrasolar planets, so basically planets which don't orbit around our sun, they're relatively recent and we're starting to confirm thousands of them. But let's start by rolling back in time and, and finding out the history of worlds beyond our own. We dreamed of worlds beyond our own solar system long before we knew for certain that they existed. But it would take until the 1990s for the first confirmed detection of an exoplanet, a planet which orbits around another star. Didier Kulo had observed a completely unexpected phenomenon the possible evidence of a planet outside our solar system. 
As techniques advanced, we were able to detect more and more worlds beyond our solar system. And this is what's behind the latest wave of discoveries, the Kepler Space Telescope, aimed at one piece of sky and unearthing a new solar system, with six planets circling unusually close to their star, the largest batch found in one go. Gas planets and rocky planets, planets which whizzed around their parent stars in a matter of days, water worlds and even a planet made of diamonds. It's roughly twice the size of Earth, slightly smaller than Jennifer Aniston's new engagement ring. It moves quickly around its star. A calendar year of hours lasts just 18 hours on this new diamond planet. We detected rogue planets which wandered the cosmos alone with no parent star to call their own. In the new issue of Nature, uh, the team of astronomers said they found 10 giant planets as big as Jupiter apparently wandering alone through the galaxy without an orbit and planets with multiple suns. Worlds of science fiction turned to reality. So these astronomers are in a pickle. They found this awesome planet about the size of Saturn, about 200 light years away, that's orbiting a binary star system. Just like Luke friggin' Skywalker's Tatooine. What a desolate place this is. <laughs> we even found planets that exist within the habitable zone of their parent star, where life as we know it potentially be. Some of these planets are orbiting their stars in a position where liquid water can exist. But as tantalizing as these newly discovered worlds seem, sadly they have always been too far away for us to explore. I find it almost quite romantic to think yeah. of all the possibilities that are out there. I mean, when I give talks to children, I, I say this because it, it's not untrue that anything you imagine you could potentially get it. You want a planet made of chocolate, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that yeah. it exists out there. And I just love that. I love that science is so exciting right now that we're discovering things beyond the imagination. How do we... So I know that, for those who are listening who aren't entirely clear on this, I'm fairly sure I'm right in saying that the way you um, discover if an exoplanet is orbiting a star outside of our solar system is you measure the light. And if the light dims, it means a, a planet is essentially going in front of it. Yeah, that's... And, and, and they've detected a lot of these using that method most of the time, is that right? Yeah, there's, there's a few different ways we can detect it, but that, that method you, you describe, so it's effectively like detecting a speck of dust on a light bulb. Yeah. So when you get um, a planet and it from goes... A, from front, 200 million light years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it is literally that. So when you... And that light dims ever so slightly. There's other... You can occasionally do direct observation if it's, it's larger planets. Um, and it's and, close enough. The planets are still very far away. Yeah. Um, one of the most incredible breakthroughs in, in all of this technology was the, the Kepler telescope. The Kepler telescope, which is a space-based telescope, which detected thousands of these extrasolar planets. And the guy behind it is an incredible guy. His name is Bill Barocchi. He's the principal investigator for Kepler's mission, but he also worked on the Apollo moon landings. He's had this incredible career. And you think of what he saw and what he's seen during mm. his career, the advances in technology. Yeah. So we asked Bill to talk us through some of these worlds that he's discovered. They're bigger than the Earth. They're, they may be rocky planets, but they're bigger than the Earth. And they're, but they're smaller than the gas giants like Jupiter and Neptune and so on. They're intermediates. And we don't know what they are. They might be super big Earths with huge gravities, or they might be really tiny gas giants. But what people, theoreticians say, they might also be water worlds. Worlds that are made of water, or water and ice. And what we found with Kepler-22b is it's in the habitable zone. 
So if it's an ocean-covered planet, you could imagine this planet full of fish, little tiny creatures developing into fish, you know, and they evolve over billions of years. So these fish learn to fly. After all, we have flying fish on Earth. So you can imagine quite a interesting kinds of life on a water world. Waterworld was also the worst movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel, isn't it incredible to think that, um, you know, the motto with scientists hunting for aliens, as we talked about in previous episodes, is follow the water. And mm. We know there's these water worlds and they might they might have land as well. For all intents and purposes, Earth is a water world. Yeah. But to think that these, these other worlds exist out there, which could potentially allow life as we know it to exist, but they're just so far away. But you mentioned earlier that there's been huge numbers of these exoplanets found, but Kepler-22b is the, one of the most notable because it was discovered about 10 years ago, wasn't it? But because it does appear to be so similar to Earth, is yeah. that right? But it's 600 light years away, right? Yeah, so there's there's lots of really interesting planets. Um, there's ones around Alpha Centauri, Alpha Centauri, which is our nearest star system, where we've got Earth-like planets there as well. So we've got these Earth-like planets, and what I mean by that is that they're rocky and they likely have water. And they're in the habitable zone, so that's the Goldilocks thing, too, yeah. not too hot, not too cold. Um, so that allows potential for life as we know it to exist. And it's that, have you ever seen the movie Interstellar? Yes. When they go off and they, they go to find another planet for humanity. Yeah. And it's this this mission to find, and I think the first planet they land on um, is near a big black hole, and but it's a water world. Yeah. And, and they think it's a good candidate for life, but it isn't. But you can just imagine one day in our future, human beings travelling off to yeah. visit some of these other planets. The distances are an issue though, right? Because we talk about Kepler at 22b, 600 light years. For those who don't know, that's the distance it takes for the speed of light to, to travel yep. 600 years is basically how long it takes. Proxima Centauri, the one you alluded to there, which is the one on the Alpha Centauri system, that's only just over four light years yep. away. So it takes which, four which years the, for light. Yeah, which initially there. you think, oh, that's all right, but it's not. If you travel at the speed of light, it'll take you four years to get there. Yeah. That's a long way away. The speed of light is a very, very fast speed. It's the absolute speed limit of the universe, right? Yeah, the speed of light is um, 300,000 kilometres a second. <laughs> like, could you think... I don't think Usain Bolt could even, no. <laughs> even go anywhere close to that. So we're dealing speed. with uh, literally astronomical distances, literally. Yeah, it, it's so, so far away. And we just don't know yet how we're going to cover these huge distances effectively. In, in fact... You know, there's just so much that we don't yet know about how we will explore beyond Earth. Warp drive, Mr. Scott. I had warp one, Mr. Sulu. Accelerating to warp one, sir. In many ways, we are prisoners of our own time. We know these other worlds exist, but we cannot reach them. NASA now planning suspended animation cryosleep chambers for travel to distant worlds. Today, it is estimated that one in five stars have an Earth-like planet. The number now people are talking about is 20 billion Earth-like planets that could have a life in the Milky Way. 20,000 20, million other Earths. Our new planetary home is out there, but it's still too far away. Today, the fastest a spacecraft has ever travelled is 150 kilometres per second, an achievement made by NASA's Parker Solar Probe as it approached the sun in April 2021. Liftoff of the mighty Delta IV heavy rocket with NASA's Parker Solar Probe, a daring mission to shed light on the mysteries of our closest star, the sun. At that speed, you could cover the circumference of the Earth in four and a half minutes, but that's still just a fraction of the speed of light. And the nearest star system is more than four light years away, meaning it would take a craft four and a quarter years to get there, even if traveling at the speed of light something which is not yet possible. Mr. Sulu, 
Ahead, warp one. Warp one, sir. Heading, sir. So the notion that we know these other worlds are out here, but we're kind of stuck on Earth. And, you know, as always with exploration, robots have kind of gone where people can't. So, so people haven't been very far, certainly in recent years, but we've been sending robots out into a solar system. But because of the scale of the solar system, mm. let alone the rest of the universe, uh, the galaxy in the universe, we just haven't managed to get that far. It's, an, it's a massively different prospect between observing it and actually being able to cross those barriers cross those gaps that are just astronomically huge quite literally i mean even the most fastest rocket technology at the moment as you alluded to there is still nowhere near what we are going to realistically need right yeah i mean we've got a speed limit in the universe it's called yeah. the speed of light and as yeah. we know it's three hundred thousand kilometers yeah. per second we can't travel any faster than that we can get Pretty fast if we if we accelerate, you know, very small things can get very fast. Yeah. Um, but because of mass, you know, blame Einstein equals MC squared. Yeah. Um, we as humans and spacecraft, we, you know, the bigger mass you've got, the more energy you need. We the can't heavier get, you get effectively. Yeah, yeah, and you can't. We don't have enough energy. So spacecraft, we need to develop a new form of propulsion if we want to go further. Otherwise, we're going to be kind of stuck with um, taking years to explore our solar system. And, and one mission which has been a game changer for this. Um, and we, we spoke about this or touched on this earlier, which is the New Horizons mission to Pluto. And Pluto, as we know, it was a planet. Yeah. Then it got downgraded to a dwarf planet. Yeah. I, I'd like to call you know Pluto the first of its kind, but I would say Pluto does not care what you call it. No. Um, it, you know, it's just doing but its thing. Did it thing. get downgraded from a planet while the mission was already Yeah, in yeah, the... yeah. So they launched in 2006. Um, New Horizons arrived at Pluto in 2015. Yeah. And by then it had been downgraded to a Embarrassing, a isn't it? More embarrassing than that, Clyde Tomberg, the person who discovered Pluto back in the 1930s, his ashes were on board this mission. <laughs> so he's, you know, going Disrespectful. out. Going out to finally meet the planet, fly by this incredible world, and it's suddenly not a planet. You know, a lot of the people involved in the New Horizons mission are still on Team Planet. I'm still on Team Planet. But what we learned from that is that even within our own solar system, we're discovering incredible world. So Pluto is this place where volcanoes spew out ice instead mm. of lava. And we we kind of wrote it off as this dead lump of rock at the edge of our solar system. Mm. But actually, it's extraordinary. And it's, a, you know, when you think that's just a world within our own solar system, how incredible could these other worlds be that we haven't even started to explore yet? And the, the man behind this mission, Dr. Alan Stern, he's the principal investigator for New Horizons. And, and he says it really led a whole new way of exploring. Well, the New Horizons mission has been uh, significant and record-breaking in a whole variety of different ways. It was the first to explore a whole new class of planet for which Pluto is the archetype. It made breakthrough scientific discoveries about Pluto, its system of moons, small corporate belt objects out of which planets like Pluto are built, and by extension taught us about all of the similar bodies that dot the outer solar system. Moreover, it was the farthest exploration ever conducted in history. Never before had a world so far away been explored by spacecraft. And then it made breakthroughs in our ability to do low-cost outer planet exploration that um, will enable future missions that previously couldn't be afforded uh, to take place. So uh, I think it's hard to overestimate the impact that New Horizons has had from its engineering to its programmatics to uh, its scientific return. So a fascinating mission, of 
course, the distances are absolutely ridiculous, um, even though they're not quite as impressive as the ones we talked about earlier. They're still massive distances. Well, it gives you an idea of how big yeah. the universe is. And New Horizons was travelling, I think, at one point um, at 36,400 miles an hour. So it's bloody fast. Yeah, really but, fast. But, but it still took how long to get there? It, it still took, um, when it launched in 2006, the flyby was in 2015. So, so it took nine, nine years to yeah. get there at that sort of speed. And at the moment, it's 4.1 billion miles away, roughly. It's in the Kuiper belt. and looking, Is it still going? It's just going to still go? It's still going. It's still exploring other objects in the Kuiper belt. So this region of our outer solar system that Pluto is a part of. And we go into space to try and answer questions and to try and find out more about what it is that we're a part of. I like to think of it as gathering pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and mm. once we've got all those pieces together we can answer questions about ourselves and it also used um jupiter at one point as a gravity assist yep. right to, as, as almost like a slingshot to improve its speed and to get more efficiency in terms of its movement and that yeah that, that's yeah. nothing new so when we explore yeah. um other worlds when we send robotic missions of course we have to be clear not human missions because mm. we we haven't gone very far just yet but we often use other planets we do flybys of other planets mm. uh, or, and use like slingshot so we can pick up speed so we, we yeah. don't use as much fuel um and one of the the most exciting missions other than new horizons which really is paving the way are the voyager missions which launched back in the 1970s yeah. and they're actually the the furthest missions we've ever gone so voyager one and two um they did an exploration of the outer solar system and they kept on going and can you guess how far away voyager one is which is the furthest we've ever gone the furthest object that's ever left earth wow um is it? I wouldn't even know how to guess. To so the it, nearest million, I'll give you. Okay, is it ten million miles away? Yeah, no, further. Well, go tell me. Fourteen point one billion miles away. Bloody hell! I know it's gone really far. That's absolutely ridiculous. But it hasn't. It's only really just left the solar system. And that's taken what fifty years? Yeah, pretty much. It was the nineteen seventies. Yeah, yeah. That's nineteen seventy-seven. So forty-five years. years. Um, wow. And it's just incredible. And it, it takes a long time to communicate. And what I love about the voyages, and this is, is kind of a grim thought, but stick with yeah. me. We're going to die. Our yeah. Earth's going to die. Yeah. Our, our sun's going to die. Yeah. The whole solar system will one day not exist, at least as we know it. I'll get my hair cut next Tuesday. It's not going to be that. No, 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 so, no you'll okay, be fine. You'll okay, be fine. fine. Um, the whole solar system won't exist as we know it, but those two tiny Voyager spacecraft will still be out there. They've, yeah. they've left our solar system. Like, like a footprint, basically. Yeah, they are yeah. cosmic messages in the bottle. And there's actually two stars you can see in the night sky. So Voyager 1 and 2 are going in different directions. Yeah. Many, many years from now, many, many centuries from now, those two voyages will both fly past a star, a different star each in our night sky. Yeah. So I think two pieces of humanity would have finally yeah. reached the stars. And, and when we've all gone, everything we've ever known, every evidence of human existence might have gone if we haven't left Earth. Yeah. There will still be evidence out there in the solar system, out there in sorry, out there in the universe. Quite poetic, really. Yeah, it is. There, there will always be a piece of existence, and apparently the Beatles were offered a chance to have their music included, but they yeah. turned it down because it wasn't paid. Right. Okay. But well, they have to get priorities right. Yeah. yeah they, 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 I mean, Paul uh, McCartney's short of a few kids. So. <laughs> I hope I've got that right. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, but they have all these beautiful messages from Earth, and it's just an, an incredible thought. But so what we're talking about here in the in, in the episode, which is about a new planetary home, is essentially the idea then that New Horizons, Voyager, these tasks we undertake as a scientific community are important to make that short step towards this kind of thing. So we send a probe and yeah. we experiment with. Um, you know, fuel and speed and, and thrust and all this kind of stuff. And we learn things and we develop and we improve. And this is, is this, this is obviously they're interesting scientific missions on their own terms, but they're also a step in the right direction towards being able to achieve these things, which at the moment, at the time of recording, feel 
very, very difficult to achieve. I don't even say in a year's time, if you're listening to this in year 2023, it, it will still probably be quite difficult to achieve. But yeah, it sounds... That's part these, of the process. Yeah. What these missions really highlight, um, New Horizons being the most modern one as well, is how far and how huge the, our solar system is, let alone the galaxy and the yeah. universe. So what they highlight is we've gone billions of miles away and we, we've still barely left. So the idea of finding a new planet home, right, a new planetary home right now, Today, mm. in the 21st century, still feels, in the 2020s, it still feels far away because the universe is so gigantic. But we know these possible planets that we could one day live on, mm. these, these things which kind of match the imagination of the movie are out there, but we're stuck. We're stuck trying to find so, a way to go fast. So very quickly then, is it? do you think it's more important to find a new planetary home, an exoplanet, as close to Earth as possible, or should the priority be finding one that is the most suitable and then solving the problem about how to get there? I think it's a combination of the two, because obviously one which was close to Earth would, would be, be a helpful. much easier solution. Yeah. But um, the next big breakthrough in space exploration has to come from new ways of propulsion, new ways of going fast. And we just don't have the answer just yet. But if we can get faster, we can start to explore these other worlds. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are about to move into areas of the galaxy containing wonders more incredible than you can possibly imagine. When we will visit and what we might find as our new planetary home is still in the realms of science fiction. New space-based telescopes such as NASA's James Webb will help us to uncover more details of these worlds beyond our solar system. Its 18 hexagonal gold-plated mirrors will allow the spacecraft to view distant planets and the far reaches of the universe with a level of detail that far surpasses Hubble's capabilities. But in order to see them, to one day explore them, we will need to develop new technology that is beyond our current capabilities. I'll show you how it works. So they say you want to go from here to there. But it's too far, right? Mm-hmm. So a wormhole bends space like this, so you can take a shortcut through a higher dimension. That's not to say we will never visit. As we've learned in this series, science fiction is often science prediction. But the when and the how is yet to be determined. For now, all we can do is continue to wonder about what else is out there and how we might one day get there. I mean, I I, I talk a lot about how we are living in the best time in terms of what else is out there and what we could potentially find and all the amazing achievements in science. But it's frustrating because we're discovering these other worlds, but we're, we're prisoners of our own time in many ways because we don't know how to get to them yet. And yeah. we, there could be so much out there to be explored and we're just scratching mm. the surface. And that is frustrating. And then you kind of edge into the world of fiction and theoretical physics because you're like, well, maybe it's not a form of propulsion. Maybe it's wormholes, which are, of course, a theoretical idea that you could potentially travel between two different points. You, you know, you often hear them mentioned in science fiction movie. We don't have yeah. proof that wormholes. Well, it's only ever really been a theoretical concept, right? Suggested yeah. by Hawking and some other people that the idea is that you the wormholes might be a shortcut from one part of the universe to another. But the idea being surely flawed fundamentally by the fact that anything that goes through a black hole is completely instantly crushed to a single. Well, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be going through a black hole. What would you um, be doing? So speak, you'd be. It's like. Point to point. I don't think anyone really knows. You bend space. You bend space time and you can travel through two points. I mean, you know, no one's really an expert. This is is theoretical physics. What I would um, caveat that with is um, when we talk about theories in science, um, it's more, you know, theory is the reason your aeroplane works. Theory is the reason your smartphone works. So it's not like theory when someone's saying, I've got an idea how we might use the term in language. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, we just don't know how to go fast just yet. And, and that's really going to be the game changer. And, and one person who's been involved in this, an incredible lady called Dr. Ariel Ekblar, and she is the founder and director of the MIT Space Exploration Initiative. And she explained to me about other methods that could potentially take us beyond our solar system one day. What a wonderful vision. And it's a tricky challenge because we know we have certain limits, fundamental physics limits, the speed of light. But there are some technologies that are out there that we could explore that would help us be able to move a little bit faster than some of the traditional propulsion methods that we have right now. So light sails, for one, being able to move on this beautiful, elegant power of photons alone. 
And there have been, you know, numerous proposals for this from the Planetary Society in past years, from Breakthrough Starshot, thinking that they would send these small probes on the power of uh, laser light to another star system like Alpha Centauri. There's much, much more development that is needed, but I think this is an area that would be very promising for additional investment to really think about what are the different ways that we could improve the rate of travel for our own ability to expand out and push further. Of course, right now, the challenge is just mass in that it's one thing to, on the power of light, send a very small probe all the way to Alpha Centauri. Another question and challenge entirely to send a human spaceship there. I think when you look at the thought of going really fast and mass and why we can't get close to the, the speed of light, it really becomes quite mind-bending physics. I think yeah. we need to blame Einstein for this. We need to blame Newton. And it, we're going to almost need a new Einstein to crack this problem. That is the level right. of game change we're going to need in physics. So it's it's a huge problem in terms of going fast and seeing someone go to another world and come back within a human lifetime. Yeah, I was, it's, it's interesting how the light sail thing works because obviously there's some reading around it. It looks to me like, you know, it's radiation pressure from light and it, and it works the same way that a wind, the wind would blow a sail on a boat. It's like so, it's solar energy blowing a sail in space, right? And these, this is an area of kind of interesting development in science because of the reasons um, mentioned there. But you'd I, need a tiny mass. You'd need literally something which weighs yeah. less than an envelope. But you could probably find a way to make the sail a lot more efficient, right, and a lot bigger to therefore take bigger, ma- bigger well, masses. You'd think so, but it doesn't kind of work like that when you scale things up, and that's really the that's huge the problem. problem. We could send, maybe we could shrink ourselves. Maybe that might be, you know, <laughs> I, I am joking here. If that's going to be the quickest way of doing it, we might be in trouble. <laughs> what, what was that movie where they shrunk the people? Inner Space. Inner Space. He goes inside it? a body. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Oh, yeah, there we go. Maybe that's the way. Maybe we need to get smaller but, in this vast universe. But space shuttles apparently reach speeds of around 18,000 miles an hour. Yeah. So, Iron propulsion is another area we talk about this on we talked about the Hayabusa probe on an earlier episode that I think they can reach 200,000 miles an hour in theory it's nothing though it's not, it's not fast enough. enough you know ain't no pleasing you the universe Sarah. is massive we, yeah. we are we think we're big we think you know go back 500 years to when we were exploring the you know crossing oceans and stuff we thought the ocean was huge hmm. and it's not and, and now we think space is huge so maybe space will become smaller with new technology but at the moment it, it's gigantic it feels insurmountable and also even if you talk about the idea of mass realistically, if we're talking about a new planetary home and making a permanent base there or whatever, you're going to have to take a lot of stuff. No, we'd live off the land. Oh, yeah, because yes, the, the 3D yeah, printer. Yeah. I, yeah, I forgot about that. You didn't need yeah, a small okay. 3D printer. So what? we're just going to spare pair of pants, toothbrush, off you go. Yeah, that's it. That's okay. it. That's it. Well, of course, astronauts on the space station, they because of weight and the weight with launching, they barely take any clothes. I think they have like three T-shirts or something. So they... Imagine the smell on the <laughs> I don't want to imagine the smell. Imagine, you know, you've yeah. gone to space, you open yeah. that, that airlock door to go into the International Space Station and it stinks. So we're going to need to think of some other solutions, maybe even change how we think about space travel altogether. Here's Ariel Ekblar with an idea. So that's why you start to think about questions like multi-generational spaceships. And would it be the case where we are essentially trying to design the most robust sailing vessel you've ever experienced so that it can take a thousand years to get somewhere but the humans by the time they arrive would be the you know great 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 children of the original occupants the original spacefarers and that's something we've seen a lot in science fiction so like on the movie interstellar in the last scene when they're on that big spaceship and it's Mm. almost like a an earth-like spaceship on the movie passengers and you have this group going off to and they're in they've been frozen or they're asleep, some sort of cryogenic state, yeah. so they can wake up at this new world. So there's 
an idea that perhaps we are going to have to think about it as generational and something which will take a long time. And then it would be settlers going to these yeah, new worlds. It's like pioneers, settlers. Yeah, I think I've got an issue with this, though, because clearly the issues we've talked about earlier about the challenges are, are there and they're present. The multi-generational spaceship idea for me also has a fundamental philosophical issue, which is that human, the human beings involved haven't decided to do it, but they're being made to do it. And also they might not be very good. Do you understand what I mean? But if a spaceship's large enough, so if there's you know tens of thousand human beings on Earth, because we are going to expand our presence yeah. beyond so Earth. So you're talking about a ship that's so... Because Elon Musk, for example, talks about over a course of however many years, and I know he says a lot of stuff, but he says to get a permanent base, for example, on Mars, it's a million people. Right? Yeah. It's a million people across a certain amount of generations, a certain amount of space shuttles. You're talking about... Spacecraft. Spacecraft, sorry. You're talking about going to a new planetary home, exoplanet, it's a lot further away... You need a much bigger ship for people to essentially, a self-sustaining ship that goes yep. for a thousand years. With artificial gravity. I need to open my mind is what you're saying. You say, Sarah, you're saying, Luke, open your mind. Yeah, it is. Draw from science fiction, draw from movies where we, we've thought of this and, and great writers of science fiction as well who are, who are looking at the prospects of, you know, if humans are going to expand into space, we're going to see human settlements on other planets, first on the, the moon, then further than Mars, yeah. and then we're going to have more humans as well because yeah. there'll be more real estate for us to take up. Yeah. So you can imagine one day having the technology for that ship to sail off and, and it would be a whole society. And, and actually, would those humans then become completely different to us because they'd have been separated for so long? So it, it feels really beyond the realms of possibility just yet, but you look at how much things have changed in 100 yeah. years that we can't rule anything out. But you're basically saying the question we talked about earlier about whether it's wiser to focus on the closest exoplanet or actually focus on the most suitable. And I know you said both because it's both. the both. Well, both. I'd want the ideal thing, wouldn't I? So yeah. I'd want the best one to be yeah, closest. Cool. cool, but absolutely. But if you're talking about doing what we're talking about now in this part of the program, then clearly you just want to find the best candidate for a planet. Because if you're spending all that time to get there and doing all this stuff, when you get there, it's got to be right. But And you could also argue if you're going to live on a spaceship which will be generational... Why would you want the planet if you've got everything you need on this giant spaceship? That's a good spaceship? point as well. And I also feel like I'd be sad if I was the one who was born on the spaceship, uh, space spacecraft, sorry, uh, and was going to die on the spacecraft, but I was part of the mission to get there, but yeah. I was never going to experience the start or the end. I know, you'd have never have seen it. Imagine, imagine human beings who aren't born on Earth. Would they be human beings? They, be, they wouldn't be Earthlings. Yeah. How, how would they be different to us no, if they exactly. grew up away from Earth? They wouldn't have, are we going to see, you know, a thousand years from now, oh, People talking about Earthers, you know, people who were born on Earth and people who were not yeah. born on Earth and, and never have experienced an Earth sunset and an Earth sunrise. So do you think that, obviously, in theory, all this is possible because of the, the, the speed in which technological development happens? But do you think all this, do you think this is feasible, this stuff? Are you talk, because we, we, we talk about the new planetary home and we talk about the challenges are, they feel insurmountable, whether it's a matter of speed, a matter of mass, a matter of distance, or a matter of, you know, being reduced by technology. Do you, can we even see, in theory, this happening? I think it's fair to say that um, nothing is impossible. Hmm. We just haven't found a way yet. And we know that technically these new planets exist out there. Yeah. And we know that we can travel in space, but we can't travel very far. But really, the best person to tell us whether it's science fiction or science fact is Ariel. At the moment, it remains science fiction. Oh, there we go. You don't get more definitive than that, does it? No. It does not get more clear than that. But how exciting for future generations that they've got so much to build on. We're laying the foundations, but what is to come is going to be incredible. And I've learned one thing doing this series with you, Sarah, is that Ariel can call it science fiction, but you've told me over and over again, science fiction is... Science prediction. There you go. 
So that is the final episode in this series of Where's My Jetpack? And I think we've covered some incredible things looking back as well. You know, this this is stuff which seemed like reality in the 1960s. People thought we'd have the flying car and the jetpack and instead we kind of jumped into cyberspace instead. But that's enabling this new space future that we're seeing right now. But um, Luke, what for you as I guess a a non-tech person, if you don't mind me saying, what for you has been the the most exciting thing? It's a really good question. I think what I've really enjoyed about the series is I've enjoyed trying almost like opening my eyes in a different way to all this amazing stuff that's happening around us. And the way I would compare it is, you know, if you live in a really great city, so I live in London, as, as you have done, and you you don't really look around or look up because like, this is the city I'm in. You know, I don't notice Trafalgar Square or the House of the Parliament. But when you take the moment to notice them, they're amazing. This has felt like that. It's made me stop and pause to think about things like, wow, actually... I've learned quite a lot about actual flying car here and this could actually happen. Like, and, and so if I was going to kind of focus in and zero in on one specific thing, I think it probably would be the flying car because as we've discussed, I'm probably too scared to go into space. So that would be something that would meaningfully affect my life and make me feel like I was living in the future. And the, only, the most recent thing that's done that where you think to yourself, bloody hell, I am living in the future is wireless internet. Where you're like, hang on a minute. It's easy, easy to forget now, Sarah. Yeah, you can see my face. Can't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. But on, on your on your phone, you can. It's, it's the second nature to just stream a complete film on your phone with no wires attached to it. That was mad back in the day. Yeah. And I think flying car would be the closest thing to that. So for me, I think the most tangible, exciting one personally would be the flying car. But I've enjoyed all of them. I have to say, there's no real exception to that. I've enjoyed them for different reasons. It's been amazing. But what I'd like to ask you is a more broad question, which is. You're the science person here. Um, how do you think scientific progress, based on what we've learned in this series, is going to help to define our generation? I think scientific progress is it's happening exponentially and, and change is happening much faster than we realise. So yeah. we feel like, take the example of intergalactic neighbour. Yeah. The, the thought of aliens, the thought of life beyond Earth, it sounds like the realms of science fiction. But we now know, and as we've talked about in this podcast as well, within the next few decades, we will likely answer that question. Of course, yeah. it's more likely to be microbial life elsewhere within our solar system. But that's game-changing stuff that sounds like science fiction is is turning into science prediction, as, as we mm. like to say. And it's just this progress is, you know, change is happening much faster. You look at SpaceX, for example, and reusable rockets and, and Blue Origin and other companies which are doing this reusable space flight. They're able to do things which were impossible five, six years ago. 2015, mm. SpaceX couldn't land a rocket on a mm. barge. It was December 2015 where they finally succeeded. And now it's almost routine that you expect when a SpaceX launch happens to see a, a rocket come back and either land on a barge or on a landing pad near the launch site. And that's progress is happening much faster than we realise. And all these things that seem impossible, they're going to happen. And as we've said before, if you look at the world 100 years ago, it looks like you know our world of today seems like a world of fiction compared to that yeah, magic basically. yeah really yeah. like everything you know the fact you can you, we carry around space receivers in the palm of our hand you know our cell phones they're um they're space receivers which has access to all this information and we're going to see satellites in space which enable more connectivity around the world so more people can access the internet particularly in rural areas and developing countries mm. that then improves everything from medicine to education to business opportunities it lifts people out of that digital kind of like poverty and 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 it's a great equalizer so actually when there is so much disruption and so much unfairness in the world my hope is with all these great inventions it's not just about gimmicks but it's about equalizing society and at the end of the day we go into space 
and we do all this space-based tech because of the good of Earth and all the people on Earth. So my hope with this is that we're going to see defined through the next through you know this century, the next few decades, an improvement to a quality of life and then an improvement to our understanding of the universe. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore and me, Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Special thanks to today's guests, Bill Barocki, Alan Stern and Ariel Ekblar. And a huge thanks to everyone we've spoken to in making this series. And most of all, a thank you to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a huge difference. And you can also find us on Twitter at Sarah Crudis and at Luke Aaron Moore. Where's My Jetpack is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.